It's PA week. What better way to celebrate than hearing from one of my favorite PAs, Brian Palm. He's a nocturnal ER PA, and we're going to be talking about his job today. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. I want to thank My PA Resource and PA School Prep for sponsoring the Pre-PA Club podcast. So My PA Resource is a personal statement editing service that edits only PA school essays, only edited by PAs, and most of us have admissions experience. So I am one of the editors. Definitely check them out if you need help with your content, grammar, flow, making sure that you are on track for turning in your application. And you can use the code FUTUREPA for a discount on any of their service options. PA School Prep is an online course that focuses on the anatomy, physiology, and med terms that you'll need for PA school to make sure you feel confident going into that first semester and that you are able to handle what PA school throws at you. So check that out at paschoolprep.com and also use the code FUTUREPA for a discount there. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. Uh, My name is Savannah Perry. I am your host of the Pre-PA Club podcast. If you are not aware, it is PA week. So every year from October 6th to 12th is officially the week where PAs are celebrated and recognized. And so if you haven't been following along on social media, there's still plenty of time. Make sure to follow at the PA platform. We've been doing giveaways every single day. We have some that are still going through next week, and we'll still be posting some through next Tuesday, actually. So make sure you're following along there. It's been really fun just seeing what everyone's posting, people talking about why they became PAs and what their job is like. We had a great virtual shadowing event last night. Um, which the replay will be posted for that shortly on our YouTube channel. And today's episode is actually a throwback to a virtual, I'm I'm saying virtual shadowing. I still have mixed feelings about that, so I'm calling it a day in the life event. But this was our event with Brian Palm, who is the creator of My PA Resource and PA School Prep, which I talked about at the beginning. But he is a great friend, and he is an ERPA who only works nights. So we talked on this event for about an hour and a half. So I'm not going to put all of that today. I'm going to do half of it and then I'll post the second half later um, as another episode just because I think that's a little too long. Um, But the entire video is up on YouTube. If you'll go to youtube.com slash the PA platform or just search for us there, you'll find that as well as when um, I did it a long time ago and talked about being a dermatology PA. Um, We are planning another event for the end of October and I have some more coming up in November and December. So stay tuned for those and make sure you're on our newsletter list so you don't miss out on any upcoming events. But thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, please like it, uh, rate it, review it, and let me know what you want to hear more of. But let's hear from Brian. I got this floor mat, but my computer chip has holes in it, so it's not helpful. Or what? Well, just because it's heavy, I guess, or because I'm. Obese. Wait, why do you need a mat? Well, just like a, it's like a carpeted room, and it's got like a computer mat on the floor. Not a computer mat, but like what are those things called? Floor mat. I guess, but it's like a plastic floor mat. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but why are you telling me about it? Well, because I just had to like scoot because I'm in I'm in my like. Do you have like that spot on the couch that you just sit in all the time, and then there's like a divot? Do you have that? That's a Brian problem. <laughs> I have a nice couch. I don't know. No, I don't really. Hi, everybody. Uh, hey, everybody. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about either. That's fine. You guys like, and I don't know if I just got the wrong thickness of like. It's not a floor mat. It's like the plastic thing that goes under your computer chair to save your floors, right? That's a different thing. That's not, it's called something else. I don't know what it is though. I don't know. I think if I was Google searching that, I would call it a floor mat. But, well, anyway. computer floor mat. Well, y'all are from all over. We got one from Toronto. That was sweet. All right. I'm excited. Is I'm excited she... to talk about work on one of my days off. Yeah. And wait, are you? 
Just let me be like scrubs. I'm not going to work tonight. Thank you. Like, like, I'm excited to talk about work after work. No, just kidding. But yeah, um, I'm excited to talk about work because I feel like all we talk about is pre-PA stuff. And That's so true. We're not yeah. talking about that tonight. Yes. We're talking about. It's going to be a nice change. Yeah, exactly. So um, great. Um, well, let me make sure I got your Coke. Good yeah, Lord. I'm ready. Is that how you yeah. make it through night shift? Is that the secret? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I've, I think, so I've been doing this for like seven years and I've had like, I drink like a monster every time I go in, but I've started to cut back. Yeah, I know, it's terrible. I started to cut back and I actually have been sleeping better, which is weird how that turns out. If you don't drink, and you know, what's the equivalent of like four cups of coffee, you end up sleeping more, more oh. better. Huh. English, yeah. So, um, but no, vanilla Coke is just a special treat that I have. Um, on my days off mostly. It just keeps me going, you know. I had to take a picture. No. You gotta get one. <laughs> what? I was gonna say do you wanna get one drink my vanilla coat, but no. you can take one of that. Um well thanks for joining us everyone. Um if y'all have been to our pre PA conference or what else have we done? A couple of our webinars. We've done like five or something, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Y'all probably you know, gotten tired of us. Gotten tired of us. <laughs> you kind of already know who we are, but if you don't, we are welcome. I am Savannah. I am a dermatology PA in Georgia, um, but we are not talking about me tonight. If you want the replay link from when I talked about my job, we will make sure you have that. Um, but we are talking about Brian's job tonight yeah. and he, I'll let him do an introduction. But before we jump into that, I'm going to do some housekeeping stuff. Um, and y'all keep, keep the, um, the questions, the comments, the questions coming. We have a list of people of questions that people have sent in on Instagram. Um, and so, but like, keep, keep, go ahead and send your questions because we're adding those to a list right now. Um, and keeping track of them so that we can make sure we try to answer as much as possible um, so that you really get a feel for different things. So anyway, but tonight we're talking about Brian and his job. Um, this, you know, can have a lot of names. I'm calling it a day in the life series, um, virtual shadowing. But I want to clarify that a little bit because um, number one, not all programs are accepting these types of experiences. Um, so I would highly recommend that you check with programs before you include anything, any of these events on an application, because let's be honest, this is not anything like shadowing a PA in a real setting where you're seeing them interact with patients and nurses and doctors and all of those things. Um it's so hard to like get shadowing experience now. Like it's, I feel so bad for the the people that are looking to apply to PA school right now because like yeah. no hospitals are allowing shadows because it's such a big liability and that is just, that, that's nuts. But at it's my facility, we're, I'm trying to like figure out a way to do it, but it's just, it's hard. It's tough. And a lot of, I mean, and it's just different. And I think that'll change. Don't give up y'all. Like keep looking for shadowing experience. Yeah, there's still people that are, getting, that are getting hours, like still yeah. getting into like shadow with people. It's not to say that you can't find any. It's just a lot more difficult now than it was, right. unfortunately. Exactly. So, I mean, just be on the lookout for hours. Keep trying. Same thing with healthcare experience, patient care experience. Like, just keep looking. It is out there. It's just a little bit more difficult right now. Um, but when it comes to this event, so we're not doing any certificates. Um, if you came and shadowed me in real clinic, I would not give you a certificate. It mm -hmm. means nothing. So, um, so no certificates, nothing like that. And we are not providing contact information for applications as well, because we have no way of verifying or guaranteeing that someone was here for a certain amount of time. So, um, for that reason, I don't feel like it is in good faith to validate that for anyone. Yeah. So, um, it is up to you if you want to include this on your application. Um, and if the programs you're applying to are okay with that, but ultimately this is for informational purposes, a replay link will be sent out. Um, last time, 
What? Some schools are some schools are like saying you can do virtual shadowing, but I think the schools that are doing that are a lot more lax on their requirements and stuff too. Right, like, and like, first thing like you can do maybe three hours, or they may not even be like requiring shadowing. Right, just recommending it. Yeah. Things, um, yeah. So yeah. your curricular activity, that's a good place to maybe put it. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of a good idea. So, um, but yeah, I know if you watched the first one with me, there were a lot of a lot of technical difficulties with the replay link. Like number one, I don't know why the email, the one in the email didn't work. Um, and then I was trying to get it uploaded to assert like, so where you could sign in and watch all of them at the same time. That also didn't work because the file was too big. Um, I've said it before. I am not technologically savvy. I like Google my way through things and hope it works. Um, so I ended up just putting it on YouTube. So if you miss the first one, it is on YouTube. You can watch it there. Um, and then this one, I think, I hope that a replay link will be available, but if not, we will get the video up somewhere, even if that is on YouTube. So, um, all right. I think that's it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, um, Give us, I think, before we like jump in, and I mean, you can take the reins if you want, or I'll kind of lead with questions. But yeah, um, I have a rundown of what what. Life yeah, well, I want to know like your your work history. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Well, yeah. So as Savannah said, my name is Brian Palm. I'm an emergency medicine PA, and I work nights in the ER. Um, I used to work at a trauma center um, down in Metro Atlanta, but now I'm more like in a rural area, smaller hospital. And so tonight, everybody, put on your safari hats because we're going on a journey and I'm going to teach you all about what it's like to be a PA. So if you're interested in emergency medicine, you know, maybe you are interested in things like sewing, right? You like sewing and knitting and all that. That's something you get to do in emergency medicine. You get to play dress up. Right, you get to wear gloves and gowns and masks and goggles and safari hats when you want to, right? Puzzles. If you like puzzles, you might enjoy emergency medicine. Like if you want to get to the bottom of why somebody who stubbed their toe is now saying that they can't see, that might be a reason, you know, why you go into emergency medicine. If you like exploring, if you like, you know, exploring some of the deepest, darkest, darkest depths of the human body and finding treasure in that human body. That might be some, a reason why you pursue emergency medicine, right? All orifices included. <laughs> That's all I have. Those are reasons why you might like emergency medicine. All right, well. Um, but anyway, no. The, the <laughs> The job in and of itself, um, it is very, um, it is very diverse, um, and um, like there's, there's, you see all kinds of different stuff in the ER, right? Like I, anything you could possibly imagine. Every, I've been doing this for seven years, like, and I see something different every single day. Somebody says something to me different every single day that I've never heard before in my life. Like I said, like I had a patient come in by ambulance who stubbed their toe, like they they broke it, but and then saying, like, I can't see. And I said, you can't see because you stubbed your toe. And so, like, I've got to make, like, as ridiculous as that sounds, right? Like, as an emergency medicine provider, you've got to take all these complaints, these random complaints that people have. Somebody comes in with, like, a headache or chest pain or headache and chest pain and abdominal pain and cough and fever and all that stuff, right? You've got to make sure that one of those complaints isn't something life-threatening that's going to kill them, right? That's, they don't, that they don't have a life-threatening emergency and you rule it out. And uh, you send them to a specialist, like you know, a cardiologist or a dermatologist, like in you know Savannah's Savannah's case. Um, and like speaking of like, you know, our jobs have a lot of overlap. Like there's like a Venn diagram, right? Where like you know, my circle, I have like you know, all, you know, different kinds of cases on all different specialties or subjects, and yours is mostly on skin. But in the middle, like we both don't get nauseated when we smell blood, pus, and burning hair. You know, so like that's a common you know, a common thing <laughs> for both yeah. of us. So, um, 
but yeah, no, so it's, it's different. It's a, it's, it's different every day. I love it. I love emergency medicine. I don't think I could do anything else just because of, you know, I've been doing it for a few years, but, um, when I graduated school, most of my experience, uh, before I went to PA school came from being an ER tech, um, in the same hospital that I worked at, um, as a PA. And so before school I worked as an ER tech. And then after I graduated, I worked at that hospital as a PA, which was, uh, pretty cool. And, um, before I was an ER tech, I worked, I, I was an EMT. I worked on an ambulance and, um, and then I had other various jobs in healthcare, but I liked emergency medicine just because of, um, you know, how different everything was like every patient is totally different. Um, you know, you go from coding a patient in one room and then the next room, you've got to, you know, handle a kid with a runny nose, you know? So like just the, the variability of the complaints that you get in the ER keeps things interesting. It's not, monotonous at all. Um, you never see the same thing twice or, you know, pretty much not the same thing twice. Everybody's different. Everybody's dealing with their own struggles, both, you know, physically and emotionally. And, um, my job is to kind of get to the bottom of it and figure out like what, what is the root cause of their symptoms? And just, like I said, to make sure that there's not there, it's not something that's going to kill them or is, is life threatening. They need to be admitted to the hospital for. So, um, but yeah, it's fun. I wish you guys, I wish everybody could come shadow me, but now, like, like I said, it's terrible. I love having students come shadow me, but not now, not with coronavirus. Weird times, which somebody did ask, and I think, I mean, we can go ahead and, like, get this off the table or I don't know, whatever. Um, But how, like, what has your biggest been your big, what has been your biggest challenge so far during COVID or changes your job or how it's been affected? Because I feel like, I don't know. And I think like sometimes it's hard, like a lot of pre-PA students haven't been able to talk to PAs and you see a lot of PAs like aren't, aren't, don't have jobs or losing their jobs. And so, yeah. Like how has it affected your job and then like your job, like going to work? Yeah. Well, so I'll start off with like my job at, well, I guess my job itself, they're both kind of related, but like the, uh, my overall, like me, the hours that I work and like my shifts and all that, like since coronavirus started. And so back in March, we all had to start taking call, like just in case we got coronavirus surge, like we had tents in front of the hospital, like ready to just take patients on, um, you know, Georgia's a hot zone, um, now and, and, you know, was kind of in, um, or parts of Georgia were, uh, back in March. Um, and so we were ready, you know, just in case things got like New York or New Jersey or anything like that. And, you know, good thing that they weren't. Um, and so what started off as, Hey, you guys might have more responsibility then turned into probably because we're a rural hospital and it's not people that are living on top of each other and going to the market every day, like in bigger cities like New York city. Right. Like I think a lot of people in New York have to go out every day to, you know, they don't have big grocery stores and stuff in New York City. Like they have grocery stores, of course, but like you go typically to like get your things for the day or a couple of days and then, you know, come home and you're not living on top of each other. Whereas in a neighborhood, um, you know, there's not a lot of people like socializing as much or at least like people can social distance a little bit easier. Um, so anyway, so what initially started off as, you know, we're ready to surge, you might have some extra responsibilities. Then in like uh, April and May, like our ERs were actually pretty slow considering um, where we thought we were going to be. And so um, there were, none of us got our hours cut necessarily. Um, like we didn't lose shifts, whereas a lot of PAs in different specialties um, that worked in the hospital. Like I know some ortho PAs that um, like stopped working, you know, because they didn't, hospitals weren't allowing elective procedures, which is like shoulder and knee replacements and hip replacements and stuff. Like those PAs that were doing elective procedures we're kind of out of work, you know, and we're going in, um, going into work. So, uh, as far as that's concerned, like I'm very fortunate that my hours weren't cut. Um, but, uh, Oh, that's, well, that's right. One of the day shift, they had a triage shift that, <clears throat> that they cut out. And so some people might've had like one or two shifts for the month that were decreased. Um, but I worked nights and so I didn't, I wasn't, um, affected by it as much. There were some of my coworkers that had to take one or two less shifts just because we weren't um, busy enough to, uh, to, fill the position, I guess we our patient load um, decreased so much. So, um, so that's that part. Now we're, we're busier than we were before coronavirus. Like it's, you know, people just are going out and doing whatever, whatever the hell they want to do now without wearing masks. And so, you know, let alone not wearing masks, but you know, just like the normal stuff, right? Like the chest pains and abdominal pains and vomiting and 
all that. And now that kids are going back, we see a lot more kids in the ER because parents that send their kids to school like are worried, well now, you know, do they have coronavirus and want them tested and stuff? So it's so it's busier now, I feel like, than it was even before all this um, all this mess. So but regarding my job, when I, I'm just like rambling on, if you like want me to no, stop, you're you're great. This is exactly what I did. Okay. So yeah, you're you're good. And okay, I, I'm just like, gonna keep talking and chat. Like if you, I, I see like a bunch of questions popping up. Like I, if if I glance over during my ADD rant, like I will, I'll, I'll answer specifically. Well, and that's what I kept doing. I had to stop looking at chat and just look at my document. So, yeah. but you're like you just go and I'll all right, I'm gonna keep you on. Um, but day to day practice wise, you know. Initially, we were um, taking, uh, you know, a ton of precautions. We still are, obviously, but you know, every patient that came in, we were um, like wearing an N95, a gown, and all this other stuff, and then we would have to throw everything away um, after we saw the patient because, like, we didn't know what this, what the hell this thing was, like back in March, right? Like, we saw videos from other sides of the world of people dying, and like, you know. We didn't know. And so we were just trying to do the best we could to take care of people. And now we've kind of got a better handle on things six months later or so. And, uh, you know, like I I told one of my uh, my uh, collaborating physicians this, you know, I don't think I'm going to see another patient without an N95 in my career now because you don't know who has this thing. And like I, I don't want to bring it home to my family and get, you know, my parents sick or grandparents sick or whatever. Um, and so I'm taking as many precautions with everybody as I possibly can. And so if you come in for like an ankle sprain or a stubbed toe, I don't know why I remember that guy. That was like four years ago at this point. But anyway, um, I'm still wearing an N95. Um, and I'm, you know, when I'm talking to you, I'm not as close to you as I, you know, likely was beforehand. I'm more, you know, I'm kind of in the, not in the corner of the room, but, um, less awkward um, than the corner of the room. Um, but I'm not, I'm definitely not as close as I used to be. Um, and, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm taking more precautions with everybody, like I said, just because, um, you know, you don't know, you don't know who's got what. Like we had, so back in April, we had this lady come in for, um, it was like a post-op complication. She had a hip replacement like a week ago and she was doing fine. And then all of a sudden, like, or over a course of like 24 hours or so, she started to act strange, right? Like altered mental status type complaint. She had a fever when she came in and we were like, oh, well, it's a post-op complication wound infection. And so everybody's in there. I had my 95 mask on because I'm like, forget it. I'm not seeing anybody without an 95 mask on. But uh, everybody was in there as if it was like a hip post-op, you know, complication. And then we hook her up to the monitor and stuff and she starts coughing and her oxygen saturation goes down to 86%. And we're like, Hey, have you been coughing? And she's like, yeah, and I'm short of breath, <laughs> like all this stuff. So like, you know, you probably had coronavirus. I'm like, you just don't know, you know, like yeah. people come into the ER for, I had the other night, had a, a mom and, and bring her kid in and because her kid was, um, had a slight, what was it a cough or a fever without any other symptoms. And then she was like, well, I just want him checked. But she checked in too. She was like, I've got a lymph node that's um, large under my armpit that I want checked out. And since we were here, I figured I might as well just come in. But she sat in the waiting room for like an hour before she told anybody like, hey, I tested positive for coronavirus uh, a couple of days ago. And it's like, it, it you know, you just, <laughs> you just don't know who's got. We're, we're seeing that too. Uh, I'll just comment like on a private practice setting. And I don't know if it's just because people feel like a medical place is safer. I don't yeah. know, but like we've had yeah. patients come in and we have a little screening thing and they'll say like, I just tested positive or my husband tested positive yesterday. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's like, and this is a very difficult time, like regardless of what you think of coronavirus, right? Like you and I and other people that are, you know, younger than us, like chat and stuff that are young and healthy and know other medical problems, like by and large, we're all going to be fine. Like if you get it, if all of us had coronavirus, most of us would obviously be fine. My concern is that like, I don't want to spread it to somebody that won't be fine, you right. know? And so I'm not, I'm not worried that I'm going to die of coronavirus. Like if I get it, I'm concerned that I spread it to somebody who then, will or will get very sick like die or not right like right. i don't want to spend two nights in a hospital are you kidding me like i'm in and out of that place like forget i'm not staying any longer than i have to in that place let alone me wanting to like 
you know, have, have somebody else stay in there, you know, if they didn't have to. My hospital's great, but like, I'm just saying, you know, like you don't want to be in the hospital if you don't have to. Yeah. Um, so it's hard. Like it, you know, I can't have the same or as much of a, I feel like the personal connection that I used to have with patients isn't as strong now because I can't see like my facial expressions and can't see me hell talking or like even my eyes. Right. Cause I've got like goggles on yeah. uh, with everybody too. I wear goggles, a, uh, N95 mask, one of these that I brought. I was going to put that on with the safari hat, but I forgot. Um, and then a surgical mask too with everybody. Um, and then if somebody comes in that's highly suspicious for coronavirus, then I'll put on a gown um, and all that. But um, but yeah, but it sucks. Like you can't, um, you can't, I feel like you can't have the same expression or uh, c connection with people. And it's just very like, I even noticed myself like, you know, with patients that have, uh, you know, cough or shortness of breath and stuff, like I am more aware of like, I'm not getting as close to this patient or like, I'm not, you know, examining them as close as I typically would like with somebody else, you know, like, you know, standing back a little bit while I listen to them instead of like, you know, getting in closer and I don't know. Yeah. Um, this whole thing, like, so I'm just ready for it to be over, but like here comes flu season and like, it's going to be the same thing. It's just, it, you know, Coronavirus sucks. Down with coronavirus. Yeah. Maybe flu won't be as bad because people are kind of wearing masks. Kind of a pessimist. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if you can tell. I like have a, a pressure sore on my nose from my N95. Yeah. Yeah. I get like little abrasions and stuff too. Or yeah. like when I get off work, like my face is like indented. It's mushed. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. great. Yeah. So we wear them just because I'm in people's faces all day long like, yeah like you're I, I in, have to get in their face so right you are like in their face yeah yeah so i don't have that um i don't have that luxury i'm not in people's faces all day but um i saw some people asking like how long are my shifts like in the well, ER? i say can you just run us through like your schedule like yeah like in a week or something i don't sure. know so like can i pull it up is that sure. i don't I'll show you my schedule. <laughs> I, got, I probably should have done this before. Sorry, chat. Um, so it's usually like two, three, four days on and then two, three or four days off. I usually work like 14 or 15 shifts a month. Uh, I can probably show you this. I don't think there's anything. So this is like my August schedule here. And I work the green days. The blue days I don't work. But like, so it's like three on, three off or four off, two on, two off, two on, two off, three on, two off. So I'm in the I'm in the middle of a nice stretch right there. But like so um, I saw somebody ask earlier, is there um, a way to do like seven on seven off? Like it depends on the facility. Right. And so like some places at my old job, I used to work like. What was it? 16 or 17 shifts and they were eight hour shifts, whereas now I work 14 or 15, 10 hour shifts. And so I work less shifts, but I get like the same, if not more hours because I'm working. Um, 10 hour shifts instead of eight hour shifts. Some ERs work uh, 12 hour shifts, you know, and like some ERs will have different shifts where you, you know, like if you work the afternoon shift, it's one to nine. And if you work the morning shift or uh, the evening shift or whatever, it's five to five or something, you know, it's a 12 hour shift instead. Um, at my, at my facility, it's, there's like, um, there's five different shifts and so there's a seven to five i'm gonna do my best here seven to five i think nine to five eleven to nine and then four to two four p to two a and then nine p to seven a which is what i work um and so they don't rotate me through because i i just work nights and so i my schedule stays the same um even on my days off like if i have like two or three or four days off i don't flip my schedule around and so i'm up until the wee hours of the morning, um, typically. And, um, and I like nights because, you know, it wouldn't work for a lot of people, but I'm very fortunate. Um, and my wife is very supportive. Um, but you know, with working nights and not having a schedule where I work, you know, some morning, some afternoon, some evenings, some nights, um, I'm home for dinner every night and I get to see my, you know, tell my kids good night every night. Um, which is, something that a lot of people don't get, right? So if I worked a shift that was like 1P to 9P um, at my job, I would, and if I worked that shift three days in a row, like I wouldn't see my kids like hardly at all, right? Because or if they were school age, I guess I wouldn't see them um, because I would be, I guess if I worked until nine, I would still get up 
and see them in the morning. But, um, but like, you know what I mean? Like if you work a, a later shift or a swing shift, you might not see your kids for a couple for like three days, um, which stinks. But, um, you know, like I said, my wife is very supportive and that's important too, is finding a partner that's like understanding of your job and your, your um, responsibilities and um, hours and stuff. And like, she knows, like she doesn't want me being a zombie and like, you know, being tired all the time by like flipping my schedule back and forth, back and forth, depending on the day. But that doesn't work for everybody. And like, like I said, I mean, I know, I know that I am lucky to have that. So, um, so that's important too, is just kind of realizing how good you got it. Um, uh, and I've always done nights, like since I started, I've been doing this, I'm going on seven years. It'll be, well, I guess it's like six and a half years at this point. Um, but I started off, they wouldn't let me do nights initially just because there's less, um, like support on nights. So like you don't have consultants in the hospital, you don't have cardiologists in the hospital, you don't have everybody in the hospital in the middle of the night, you gotta call everybody, everybody's at home. And so you've gotta figure out like, well, do I really need to call this person at 3 a.m. and like wake them up? You know, whereas during the day, if you had one of their patients, you'd be like, hey, so-and-so's here, like just so you know, what do you want us to do? Whereas in the middle of the night, it's like, you know, if you're not, I'm, I'm not trying to wake people up in the middle of the night if I don't have to, right, you know? Um, but yes, there's not a lot of support at night. And so for new grads, like when you get out of PA school, you might not be able to start nights initially. And that's just because again, there's not, you don't have as much help. Like, you know, the ER at night runs on like a third of what it does during the day as far as support staff goes. So, um, if that, maybe even like a quarter, I don't know. Um, but you're more kind of on your own, which is, um, kind of cool in and of itself. Like, you know, I find that I have, and this will kind of vary from facility to facility too, but I feel like I have more uh, like freedom and autonomy on nights than I would like during the day, just because the suits are all at home resting in their bed comfortably in their, you know, comfy beds or whatever. Uh, so, so I get, a, I get, a, I get away with a lot more at night. I feel like I would during the day, um, which like is good for me because I think that I would, you know, I, I, as you know, like I'm, I'm more outgoing and stuff and that just kind of works more at night than I think it would during the day. So, um, which is fine. So I have no idea what the initial question was, but I think I answered it. Um, I think it was just like your schedule, but there are some like other questions like going off of that, um, yeah. which, and I guess like for people to understand and I may not even understand, but like one of my good PA friends just switched to doing nights in the ER. Um, Jamie and like from what oh, I understand, um, like the benefits are usually, and this may or may not be true. You can correct me. Like you typically get like a night differential, like yeah. about pay less, yep. maybe less shifts um, than if you did daytime. Like there, like there are benefits that come with, with doing the nights. sacrifice of doing nights. Yeah, yeah. So usually there is a night stipend at some places. I know a PA that got a job working nights, and they're like, no, there's no stipend. Like this is the job. Um, which sucks, but again, it's just different everywhere. Um, but yeah, so that's a benefit. The pay is a benefit. Um, up until today, I actually got an email today. Um, we'll just say like before today, I could, like, I kind of make my schedule. Like I kind of suggest what I want my schedule to be and they kind of work around it. And, uh, because I'm the only night person at my facility. And so when I'm on all of the day shifters have to like rotate through the night shifts. Um, whereas because we had somebody leave recently, Whereas before it was just me and her that did nights. Like when I was off, she was working and vice versa. Um, but now I kind of have a little bit more freedom and can um, have been able to like choose my schedule. And so if I want like, you know, a day off here and there, I don't have to go through like the management approval process and all that to get it off. I just say, hey, this is what I want my schedule to be. And they work around it. But today I got an email saying I couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> so, <let's>... oh, no. <laughs> so I, you know, it's fine. Uh, hopefully that'll change again after a couple more conversations. But, um, but again, that's different everywhere too. Like, you know, if you work at a hospital where they just have an, a, a scheduler that, you know, lives across the country from you and doesn't know who you are, like they aren't, they don't care what your schedule is. Like you have to go through and like get approved time off and, and all that. So, um, yeah, ER, I just have a glance over. So like, do I work hourly or salary? So like I do work, I work hourly in my, pay structure is like off of like RVUs. It's like a productivity model almost. My job before was almost entirely like RVUs. I got a base like hourly rate um, and it's super confusing. I didn't confuse it. I didn't understand it when I first got the job either. 
I didn't understand it until like three months in. I was just like, I think this is fine. I talked to people that work there and, I, and they were like, yeah, it's, it's a good deal. Um, but basically what it is is that they take, so like if you, if you get paid a thousand dollars a month, okay, I'm gonna try to throw them out. But if you get paid a thousand dollars a month uh, in your in hourly salary or whatever, right? Um, they take that based on how many shifts you work and like how many hours you work for the month or whatever. Just say that that's a thousand dollars. But during the month, um, the RVU model is based off of like the complaints that patients have and like the workups that you do and like how sick they are and if they get admitted and like their acuity and all this stuff, they get des like designated a number, like an RVU number. And that's based off of like a Medicare law, I think um, that was in like two, whenever I was like, I think it was before Obamacare even like in 2004 or something, they um, assigned uh, RVU numbers to certain patients. And so like I, would like if I saw say, um, this is this is like not to scale at all. But like if I saw a hundred patients that all had the RVUs of ten, that would be a thousand, right? So I would even out for the month. But if I saw fifteen patients that all had RVUs of ten for that month, so I had a thousand dollars in my salary. This is uh, this is like nobody's gonna understand this. This is pointless. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just Google that, but but anyway, it's a productivity model, um, and it works. Like it works for me because you know I tend to be a hard worker, and like you know they it, it, it encourages you to like work faster, like through patients and be more productive to earn more money, which is nice. Um, but yes, I am hourly, but it's based on productivity, and it's like super confusing that you don't. I tell you what, like. Last time I looked at the salary report, it was like 10% of PAs worked on the RVU model. If you find an ER job working in the RVU model, take it, period. Like, yeah, take that rather yeah. than like a great salary, um, like hourly rate or whatever. Work on the productivity because that's your salary will be, will be more based on like you and like how you work and um, well, you, you know, how you work harder and you get paid more, you know. Well, and typically like ER visits and procedures are billed higher than yeah well like, like patient or normal stuff so yeah well and i think it's like another part of the rvu process is that there's like multipliers that are um a factor as well and so like you're deemed you're a lot of places you're given a multiplier and like the, the rvu multiplier times the amount of rvus has to outweigh your salary for the month to get like a, a, a bonus a productivity bonus at the end of the month so it's very confusing but definitely like do RVUs. So yes, I'm hourly. I'm also productivity based, but it's a good model. Cool. Okay. People really want to know, and I don't know how, well, okay. They want to know like what a normal shift looks like. So that can probably vary a ton, but maybe yeah. just tell us about like your last shift or something. Yeah. Um, God, that was like two days ago. I don't know if I remember that. Um, <laughs> I so um so yeah so i get there at nine o'clock right uh i typically shower around eight i'm out of the shower by eight ten eight fifteen or so i put on my scrubs by like eight twelve i'm just kidding but i get to work around nine uh, <laughs> um i get to work around nine and i go in and usually like the hours from eight to nine or like seven to nine are some of the busiest of the entire day and so when i get there things are typically on fire. Like there's a you know, waiting room full of people, there's patients waiting to be seen um, because like everybody's after dinner like, oh, you know what? I think I'm dying, I'm gonna go to the ER. That's typically, I guess how it goes. Um, I've never had that thought before, but usually around that time, I guess people are like off work, they don't wanna go during work and they're like, oh, I think I felt like I, wanna, I wanted to throw up for like 15 minutes, I'm gonna go check into the ER and make sure, um, make sure that I'm not dying. So, and that's my job. No, so, um, so I'll get there, let's see. The people that are working before uh, I get there know that like I'm the suture guy and the procedure guy. And so like a lot of patients that get bit by dogs or that have, you know, that, you know, a kid, a toddler that hits his head up against the corner of a door or, um, you know, things that need to be like repaired, sur a surgical repair, they know that I'll do it because again, at my facility, it's different and it's different everywhere. Um, but I kind of work, I tend to take more like lower acuity patients, um, like just to get the process moving when I first get there and the lower acuity patients are things like ankle sprains and, you know, kids with the sniffles and, um, 
you know, like just little things like possible broken bones, wrists, lacerations, animal bites, things like that. Um, so they leave those for me if they come in and, you know, if they know that I'm coming in here within the hour. And so when I first get there, it's usually like, you know, ordering x-rays, ruling out um, different things like fractures and foreign bodies and all that when I first get there. Um, but usually when I get there, I see like uh, five to eight patients in the first hour. And like, I just sign up for them all and like, you know, go through. And once I sign up for them and I go in and I do my initial exam and then do their workup. And then I get, as far as those patients are concerned, I kind of get a, a break from like running around the ER because I'm like ordering tests and I'm waiting for those tests to come back. And so once I see, go through all those patients, then by the time I go through all those patients, then the x-rays are back and the, you know, blood work, if I ordered some is back. And so then I kind of go back through and I, you know, discharge people that I initially saw when I first got in, or I add things to the workup um, that, um, you know, based on like the lab findings or the x-ray findings from when I first saw them. Um, but once that initial like bolus is through um, from pa patients that are walking through the door, then like around 11 or 12 o'clock, then people are coming from like by ambulance in the middle of the night, right? It's like older people that are having chest pain or severe abdominal pain or um, drunk people. Like I had five drunk people come in on Sunday night, which like partying on a Sunday, like going out, you know? Um, but all those people come in by ambulance and like a lot more ambulances come in the middle of the night. And a lot of the cases that come in in the middle of the night are, um, are like, if you think about it, right? Like nobody's get, like sitting in bed at three o'clock and be like, you know, well, I shouldn't say nobody because plenty of people do like sitting in bed at three o'clock in the morning. Like, Oh, my ankle's been bothering me for four days. Like maybe I need to go to the ER. Um, usually it's stuff like, Oh, shit, I was woken up like with this really bad chest pain or oh, I woke up with this really severe abdominal pain and vomiting and I can't go back to sleep type stuff. Like the things that people take ambulances for in the middle of the night are usually things that they can't sleep with. You know what I mean? Like because if they aren't able to sleep in the middle of the night, they're going to come to the ER and figure out like make sure that they're not dying. And so that's what we do. So we do a lot of like heart attack rule outs and we do a lot of like CT scans on abdomens to make sure it's not appendicitis or a perforated diverticulitis or um, gallbladder, um, or, you know, things like that. But like the patients that come in the middle of the night are completely different than they do during the day. Right. Because if somebody came in in the middle of the day for like an ankle sprain, you'd be like, Oh yeah. Like this person's ankle hurt. They must've twisted it. But like if somebody comes in at like two 30 in the morning, you better believe if you come in at two 30 in the morning with ankle pain, I'm like, what are you doing at two 30 in the morning with your ankle? Like what, what made you wait? So like come in the middle of the night type thing. So, um, you know, we get a lot, not necessarily at this facility now because I'm not at a trauma center, but when I was at a trauma center in the middle of the night, it would be like traumatic car accidents, gunshots, stabbings at like bars and clubs, um, you know, and still like still with the heart attacks and the strokes. That's another thing, too, that we get in the middle of the night, a stroke rule out stuff um, or like surgical abdomen cases uh, that come in, in the middle of the night. So like that's also the type of stuff that came in when you work at a trauma center, but now we don't get trauma. And so I don't see a whole lot of that stuff like I used to. Whereas every night it seemed like it was like, boom, 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 boom. Like, you know, gunshot wound, stabbing, traumatic car accident, stuff like that. Um, speaking of that, I'll talk about one, somebody asked like, what was my favorite um, or like my most memorable case. And um, so my wife was away for, um, I think she, she was on vacation for a couple of weeks um, when I was working at the trauma center and I was working in the middle of the night and uh, these two guys, they were like, Hey, we got gunshot wounds rolling through the front door. So I'm like, all right, well, here we go. Right. Drink it up. Get your monster in. Yeah. So, um, so these two gunshot wounds roll in in the middle of the night and um they're going to wheelchairs and I'm like, these guys look familiar. Like I've seen these guys somewhere before. I don't know if it's here or what, but so like I ran up to them as they're getting rolled to the trauma rooms and I'm like, Hey, like, you know, what happened? And, uh, and they were like, Oh, we got, you know, we got shot. We were at a party. Somebody stole our liquor. So we chased them, you know, down the stairs and out into the parking lot and they got into their car and shot at us, which is like so stupid. Like it's so stupid. The people, the reason why people get shot, right? Like stuff like that. Like that you're running after a bottle of Kamchatka like vodka that costs like 12 99 at the liquor store that somebody's uncle bought them because you 
you know, you, you couldn't afford, I mean, not that you can afford it. You don't, you're not old enough to drink alcohol, but anyway, so they change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like college, right? Like, anyway, so I was like, well, where are, like, where were you guys? Oh, at this really crappy apartment complex called XYZ. And that's where I lived. So like they were my neighbors. Oh no. Thank God my wife wasn't home, but like there was a shootout in the parking lot of the apartment complex. And like, you moved. No, I'm just yeah. No, no. We, yeah. We didn't live, we didn't live there anymore, but it was, it, well, no, I, we don't live there anymore, obviously, but uh, we still live there then. And it's like, what the heck? But anyway, that's the craziest, <laughs> that's the craziest um, story that I remember because like, just imagine, I mean, that's like crazy shit, right? Like people don't like shootouts like that. I mean, you know, I just, it's so wild. Like people just don't think about, like in an apartment complex, I mean, bullets could have been going everywhere and you just don't know. That's the kind of stuff, right? Like people that are like kind of recognized from the pool and I, like they came in with gunshot wounds and like. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's, yeah, you definitely get in, like way more interesting stuff than what I would see probably. Like, well, I, yeah. I see interesting stuff, but like the stories. Different, yeah, yeah. Like, that's what I, I, like somebody asked if I'd ever do the ER and I liked it. Yeah. Um, I didn't like broken bones, so yeah, that's um, thing I like can't deal with. Mine was eyes. When I was in school, I couldn't do eyes. eyes are kind of like, weird. They're kind of creepy. Yeah, now it's like whatever. Um, well, and that's how it, like so. I mean, I, that's how I feel about blood and stuff, whatever. But like, so my I just was thinking though because I kind of forgot. But when I was on my ER rotation, it was right after the bad ice storm in Georgia. Oh God, yeah. Um, like, like kind oh, of yeah. during it. But then, like at like as sure. it was clearing, yeah. so what we kept seeing a ton of was chainsaw injuries. Like I saw oh. so many chainsaw injuries, which are surprisingly clean cuts. Yeah. But I had to suture a ton because these guys were coming in with their legs and arms. Yeah, that's that's the biggest, the longest laceration that I've had to repair. It was like this long, and it went all the way down just about to the bone. It took me hours. Like it yeah, was these weren't that bad, thankfully. But yeah, cool. they were like, "Here's some suture stuff. You know how to do it." Yeah. Little PA student, and I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> yeah. They just put you in a room, put you in a room for an hour or two, and kept you busy. Pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, but I just remember seeing that, and I and there was a guy who got um, a fish hook in his ear. Oh yeah, fish hook. Like we've got a lake around here, and like it's yeah, fish yeah, they get it like in their hands and fingers. And it's they're so frustrating because like with fish hooks, when they get stuck in you, they've got that barb on the end. And so you can't just like pull them out. And so you've got to push them through. But the problem is that when they get lodged in the tip of your finger, there's not a whole lot of room to like angle them through. And if you use really crappy like small hooks and they get stuck, like sometimes they can break off. And that's a whole nother issue. Um, but those are, uh, yeah, that's that's one of my least favorite procedures because sometimes you have to like really like yank them out. And like when you do that, then you like have a risk of hurting yourself too. One of the most satisfying things though is like putting a like dislocated hip back in place. Just the way like. I saw that. Like, so when y'all like. You stand on the table. Yeah, you get on the bed and you're like, you know, basically like trying to deadlift this person and like having to like pull. And when it pops back into place, so it's like, ah, oh, yeah, awesome. But that's like people that like orthopedists, like orthopedic PAs, that's the kind of stuff they do every day. They get to use like hammers on bone and all that stuff. Um, but yeah. yeah. But like, you know, another crazy, like I'll tell you another crazy story. I can keep going with these. I'll do one more because it's kind of foul. But um, so I was, it was, it, it, I was working, this was before PA school. I was working as a tech in the hospital and um, like, in a, like on a Wednesday in the fall, uh, like three o'clock in the afternoon, like, you know, nobody's, Nobody's in the ER you know, at that time, or at least that day there wasn't. So this guy comes in and he's like 55, 60-ish or so. And he comes, he's like sweating bullets. And so I see him like walking in from the parking lot. Like, Holy crap. Like, what's this guy's having a heart attack? Like, what's going on? So he's like, you know, like freaking out, like walking through the doors. I'm like, dude, like, what's going on? How can I help you? And he's like looking around, like just, again, just sweating bullets, freaking out. Like, doesn't want to tell me what's, what's wrong. And so he's like, come over here. And so he brings me over and he's like, well, there's no easy way to tell you this, but I've got a giant dildo shoved in my ass. <laughs> so like, oh, the poor guy. But like, it, it was an emergency, right? Like he ended up, you know, you got to go to surgery for that stuff sometimes. But like he ended up slipping, I guess. I don't know if he was mopping or what and like slipped in his kitchen. 
and just ended up falling on it or what. I don't know, but oh, yeah, yeah, like it's like stuff like that, like things that you would never ever think of, like you know, oh, stuff like, you like read on the internet that you're like, no way, that's not true. Like I'm in the you. bar, it's listen, true. <laughs> listen, like five hour energy bottles, Hot Wheels cars, glass and plastic bottles. Oh, I mean, you you name the orifice, literally, you name the orifice, and I have pulled something out of there. For both males and females, you name the orifice, and I pulled stuff out of there. Wow. Unbelievable. Okay, there are some People questions. People are very imaginative. They've got a you know wide imagination and good on them, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but wait, hold on. We, <laughs> we like haven't even finished your shift yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're like yeah. an hour in. All right. So, <laughs> We're going to be here all night, guys. All right. So one hour. Um, no. And so, you know, a lot of the, the, the main, my main focus, like I kind of pride myself working nights. Like I feel like it's my job, my responsibility to clear out the waiting room. Right. And like if there, it doesn't matter if there's like three people in the waiting room or there's 20 people in the waiting room. My job is to get that waiting room empty by the time day shift comes in the next day. And so like, I'm, I'm pushing it, you know, early in my shift to try and clear that waiting room because I know that if I clear that waiting room out, the sooner, the sooner, the better. Right. Because if there's no patients to be seen, like I can catch up on my CMEs or like read, you know, literature or, you know, medical stuff or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, like if there's things that I need to do, I can do that if there's no patients to be seen. So like I pride myself on the fact that like when the doc comes in in the morning, like there's nobody in the waiting room, nobody to be seen. Like I feel like, you know, I did my job and it makes me look good too, right? Or like me and the doc that worked overnight. I'm not like, it's not only me, of course, but um, so anyway, so, but like most of the night is, is spent that way though. It's just like picking up patients as they come in, seeing the patient, ordering, doing the examination, ordering the workup that you want to do, seeing how the labs and the imaging studies um, that you ordered and like the medications, if they work or not, how those work, if they work great, if they don't, then figuring out like what other path to like go down. Right. So like somebody that comes in for chest pain or whatever, say it's somebody like a 50 year old that comes in with right sided chest pain or yeah, no. Yeah. The, com the camera is messing with me. Okay. Um, Right-sided chest pain, right? So you rule out, a, shut up. So like you rule out, you know, all the heart stuff, but like, okay, so like what else could cause right-sided chest pain, right? Like, you know, you ruled out pneumonia, you ruled out a heart attack, you ruled out a broken bone, you ruled out, um, you know, angina, what else? What else could it be? And so you got to think about, well, like, well, hey, your gallbladder's over here on the right side. So like, it could be the gallbladder's causing right-sided chest pain. And like a lot of the time it's that, it's things that, it's important in the ER to keep a wide differential of um, like nothing is face value. Like even things like, I don't know, like I got, Oh, I got bit by a bug on my leg the other day and now my leg is like big and swollen. Well, like, I can't tell you how many patients I've had like that that got bit by the bug and they're, you know, it's not a cellulitis, it's a DVT. It just so happens that like, even though they got bit by a bug, they've got a big old DVT in their leg. And so like if I sent that, which is a blood clot in their leg for those playing at home. Um, but like if I sent them home thinking that it was an ant bite, like they could be dead, right? Like, you know, they would probably come back once the antibiotics aren't working and they would be okay. But, you know, it's important in the ER to keep keep a wide uh, differential, like I said. So uh, even like, yeah, I mean, the, the, it's it's crazy. Like people just, the, the things that can happen to the human body are just crazy. Like yeah. without like, like of no fault of our own, right? Like just all of it, it's like a car, right? Like you can do general maintenance on your car. You can get your oil changed every 3000 miles or whatever, but then one day your, you know, clutch is going to go out or something or your, your radiator or whatever. Like, and that's like with the human body too. Like you can eat healthy, do everything you're supposed to do. And still at 50 years old, you're still going to have a heart attack. Like, you know, like, I don't know. That's super morbid. And, you know, but that's, but that's no, it, the reality mean, though, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's true. Like, I don't know, like chat, y'all can tell us if you've ever been a patient in the ER, but like, it's, I mean, yeah. it's scary. Like I remember, I guess it was two years ago when, after I had my baby three weeks later, I was feeling very terrible, couldn't breathe, fever, all this stuff. And I called my husband who's a hospitalist and he said, you need to go to the ER and like I burst into tears because no one no one wants to go to 
the well most people don't like right. I feel like normal people don't want to go to the ER <laughs> people might want to but like it's scary like because there's so much like if you're going to the like I think if you're a reasonable person that's going to the ER for a real, a real reason like it's because something's very like something's wrong right like you were right. saying like if someone in the middle of the night feels the need to go to the ER like something hey, you gotta take them seriously right but like a lot of the time and one of the crappy things about ER medicine is that like you know a lot of the time I don't know What's yeah. wrong with somebody? Yeah. You know, like I see people that come in with abdominal pain in the middle of the night, and you know, we do blood work, meds, CT scan, ultrasound, everything is normal. Like, why are you having pain? And it's like, like one of the worst, you know, pieces of news that I have to deliver is like, I don't know what it is, but I know what it isn't. Like, I know you're not, your appendix isn't ruptured. I know that you're not having a bowel obstruction. I know you don't have a surgical emergency. Same thing with chest pains, right? Like people that come with chest pain in the middle of the night, well, what was it? I don't know what it was, but I know what it's not. And like, unfortunately, there's not a chest pain test or an abdominal pain test. Like you can't, there's not a blood test that we can run that'll say, oh, you're having this pain because you have costochondritis. Like there's not anything like that. Unfortunately, there's no funding for tests that rule out conditions that are annoying. Right. So like, you know, with people with pleurisy and costochondritis, all we can do is rule everything out, like rule out coronary artery disease, heart attacks, you know, pneumonias, collapsed lung, all that stuff, pulmonary embolism. We rule out all that stuff. And that's where all the funding is, is like all the research has been done on, on tests that will save lives, not necessarily on those that will eliminate frustrations. So, well, and that's, I mean, so that I can relate to that in Durham, like it's the same way, like no one researches or comes out with new meds for things that don't hurt you. And yeah. so for me, like people want, especially since they see it on their skin, they want to know why, like, why yeah. do I have this? Why do I have eczema? Why do I have rosacea? And I don't have, like, I'm like I, all day long, I don't have answers. So um, yeah. we have, you know, 13 psoriasis medications and, like nothing for eczema, like one thing that's yeah. new. That's so like keratosis right? Like the uh, thing, like keratosis polaris. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, KP granuloma annularis. Yeah. Um, exactly. rosier, like all these things I see all day long. That it's just yeah. like you're not dying, right? You make it go away, and I'm like, right. no. Um, yeah. So yeah, I know. Yeah. Somebody asked, Mark asked, how do you balance productivity versus care? And it's definitely a balance, right? And so my, like, I, well, like and somebody, you can probably incorporate this, but somebody else asked, like, why would you start with lower acuity patients? Because that's usually what's waiting for me. That's what my coworkers okay. tend to wait for me. Like, unless we're just slammed and there's just sick people everywhere, um, like, they kind of, like I said, like, I, when I first get there, I'm more of like, I, I call myself like I practice in the step above urgent care when I first get there because like they're taking the sicker patients in the back and like this certain part of the ER and they know that like I'm going to do the procedures right like so like a laceration on someone's hand is a low acuity patient but it, that doesn't mean that it's not um, like time intensive right so like the time that I spend with depending on the laceration um, is more than what I would spend you know depending like on an abdominal pain maybe I don't know. Um, but because they're dealing with the sicker patients, like I'm doing the more time intensive stuff, if that makes so sense. So the sick ones are already being taken care of. Like they usually, yeah. Like I'll prioritize if there's sicker patients to be seen, I will see them. But what I was saying was when I first get there, the people that are working know that like, I'm going to do the procedures or like I typically do Yeah. that I'm going to do the procedures when I get there, just because like, that's how I that's just how I work in this facility. Yeah. Like it was totally different at the other place that I worked at. Um, so, but regarding the productivity versus care, like my focus isn't on my paycheck when I'm at work. Like my focus is on taking care of people. And so, like I said, like I pride myself on like clearing out the waiting room and getting people taken care of and like, you know, ruling them out and, you know, taking away their pain and, you know, fixing what I can in the ER. But I don't think about like, oh, I get to, I'll see this patient so I can like up my numbers. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, my lights are going to stay on because like, I'm fine. Like, the, the salary that you'll get as a PA, regardless of what model that you, you know, get hired under is going to be fine. Where like, you don't have to like count. I don't, I'm not counting patients that I see or like, I don't have a quota that I have to meet on my RVUs. I don't even know. 
I don't keep track of like what my RVUs are based on the patients that I have because I don't even know what those numbers are. Um, but it's but but I understand what the concern is. Is it's like, well, are you just like seeing as many patients as you can and like not spending the time with them? And no, the goal is to get them seen, treated as quick and safely as possible. And that's just emergency medicine. Like even in you know now, even in like family medicine, the like the the focus and goal is like seeing you know thirty or forty patients a day. Like how many patients do you see in clinic a day? Would you say right now? Medicine. Like I know you're not in family medicine. Yeah, yeah. No, my schedule's at about twenty five. When I was like, so I switched jobs last year, and so yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. building my patient base. But I was at about thirty five. Yeah, and, and I mean, I was slammed. Like. But like these, the offices are like pushing for seeing more patients quicker right. and stuff because that's like revenue, right? But like me personally, my focus is on delivering care, quality and effect, effective care as, as quick as possible in the, in the ER. So when well, I'm on the same as you, like where, you yeah. know, I get- You broke I, up, say that again? I'm, I'm on a similar model. And like, to okay. be honest, that was a concern for me starting up because I was like, I don't want to be, you know- influenced by being on a productivity model but like honestly like you said like i don't even think about it like it just yeah, i mean it's not it it's doesn't like, cross my mind when i'm at work at all like, yeah like if i'm in a negotiation i'm going to talk about it being a commission but i honestly think yeah, right. a bonus like oh that's cool like yeah right. i got rewarded for my hard work cool right, right. Um, but yeah, yeah. I like look at a patient i'm like ooh, i get an extra yeah I mean, you if i do this like no that's weird yeah